Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand you remember having an impact on you as a young girl? Fashion brands were big. You know, there was Calvin Klein and Gloria Vanderbilt and Members Only and Izod and Benetton and all those were big back then. Growing up, we were a family that, you know, you shopped once a year for school. You shopped in the fall. And some of the stuff we'd go to Kmart and they had the blue light specials, you know, and you would go and, you know, you'd get your 12 tube socks for a dollar or whatever it was. And uh, and those things you'd get at certain stores, right? You go to Kmart for that because that's how you can stretch your dollar. Um, and then you'd be able to get like a designer or two something. And it was, you know, like Gloria Vanderbilt jeans or a members only jacket or Izod shirt or something like that. Uh, but I remember school fall being a very big time for that. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Amy Johnson, the Chief Marketing Officer of Zillow, the 15-year-old Seattle-based real estate services company founded by ex-Microsoft executives. Zillow is now the world's largest full-service real estate platform with a purpose of making it easier for people to unlock the next chapter in their lives. Zillow, already a popular brand, took on new meaning during the pandemic when people adopted Zillow surfing as a new hobby, with visits to the app and the site surging 500% plus. Zillow boasts a market cap of about $26 billion, not bad for 15 years of work, with annual revenue just under $3 billion. My guest Amy has worked at Sally Mae, the Campbell Soup Company, and Starbucks. When Amy was a child, her grandmother told her she would have a career in marketing someday because she liked watching not the shows, but the TV commercials. This is my conversation with Amy Johnson. Amy, welcome to the CMO podcast. We're going to talk real estate today, but before we do that, are you okay if we talk about music and food? Oh, for sure. All right. You're on the board of the Seattle Symphony, I believe. So I want you to start there. How long have you been doing that? And what have you learned about leadership and brand building through that experience? Oh, interesting. Um, So I've been on that board about four years. Um, I started, I was interested in it because Starbucks is interested in doing things local, local communications. Clearly Starbucks is in Seattle, the symphony is here. Um, I grew up playing music, my daughters play music, and um, most of the audience goes up some type of musical background. And the, the evolution has been quite dramatic for the Seattle Symphony, um, both in the quality, um, the size of the audience, the new building they had built. So 
as you can imagine, I mean, there's the, the, the audience stereotype of a symphony tends to be older, has a lot of time, can go and visit, etc. And the reason they brought me in was to try to help rebrand and talk to the symphony to a younger audience, to try to determine what other types of things they could do to bring the experience of schools that can show up and do pop-ups in neighborhoods. And how do we start showing the joy of music to more people in the area? Um, and we started off to a great start, and then 2020 mm. happened. Um, and really learning how to take care, like most companies did, right? Take care of the employees. So how do we take care of the musicians? How do we ensure them that we will be there for them? How do we completely pivot and go from only understanding in-person events to doing digital events, to having the musician be in safe spaces, to actually having them do their craft? So it was it was quite an amazing time to see how a non profit basically still stands itself up and they came out the other end great i mean the the fundraising was amazing the performances were amazing so it was a really interesting uh learning there being on the executive committee and trying to just you know make some of these decisions to keep it alive beyond this board work you said you play music as a kid your kids play music you have a seven and a nine-year-old what role does music have in your life now uh, well, <laughs> I just had to ask them to stop playing for this recording. Um, at least they're practicing, right? They, at least they're practicing, which is good, which means they like it. You know, um, music for me is just another form of creative outlet. And it's a way, I, mean, when you, I play the piano, the clarinet, and the oboe, and I still play the piano. And when you just sit down and you could just relax and you could just, you don't even think of the notes, you think of the sounds and you think of how they come together. And it's just a way to, for me to decompress. Um, and for my kids, I think it's a little like, hey, I'm learning how to hold the bow the right way. So I don't sound like a cheese grater on the, on the violin or I'm understanding that there's a certain way in which you have to um, play the piano. So then creativity come in. So for me, for the kids, it's how do you how do they start understanding there's a structure that allows for creativity? Right. There's a there's there's a way in which things happen, but then you don't have to do it in the way or order in which you're taught. So it's just a it's like a really great right left brain exercise. And it's uplifting. I mean, how do you not smile when yeah. you hear music? Like it's joyful or it brings back memory or and for me, smell and sound are the two things that bring back memories. Mm. So Well, we're gonna talk about sound and smell a little bit later. We do need to talk about coffee as you are one of the world experts after 14 years at Starbucks. So what is your recommendation, Amy, for the perfect espresso drink? The perfect espresso drink? Well, I like uh, uh, flat white is my favorite with the ristretto. Mm. Um, it breaks through the milk so nicely. Um, so that's my favorite go-to. Brew coffee, though. I have to say I'm still brew coffee. I'm from the Northeast. I have to say I like a good cup of coffee. Um, I like Verona, which yeah. is one of the coffee blends. It's nice and it's smooth and it's strong enough. I like milk in my coffee, so it's strong enough to break through the through the milk and you still have a nice coffee flavor to it. I took a seven-mile hike on Sunday to a coffee bar in Cincinnati and had a Cortado, which was so delicious. So, yeah. so do you have a coffee machine at home or do you always go out to Starbucks? I do. I do. I have. A, uh, I would say I went to Starbucks a lot more when I worked there and there was no pandemic going on. Uh, there was a little Starbucks in my office at work and I would go every day 
potentially twice a day when I moved over to Zillow because I just really adore the coffee and the experience. Um, but since then, I've been making a lot at home, but I do still. Still a Starbucks fan, so I still brew it at home. Uh, I have a like boiler brewer, mm-hmm. so it literally will vacuum the... It'll warm up the water, vacuum it over to the coffee. It'll bubble it up. It makes a really nice cup of coffee. I'll come over sometime. Sounds great. Yeah, it's delicious, delicious, delicious. So let's get into the pandemic and the Zillow brand and the Zillow brand purpose. The timing of this interview is actually pretty uncanny. You know, you've been CMO about three years and more than most brands, yours really morphed during the pandemic and accelerated. You know, it became a source of joy, escapism. You're going to tell us about all this, but I would like you to go through that a bit. You know, your brand really, at least my impression, it really shifted during the pandemic. So I'd like you to talk about what that time did to accelerate how your brand evolved, how your organization evolved, your momentum continues because it seems like everyone's buying and selling a house, at least in my neighborhood. So tell us a little bit about that experience, its impact on the brand and and your organization and how you're building on that momentum. I know it's a loaded question. We can probably talk the rest of the hour on that, but that's okay. The reason I joined Zillow is because I was super interested in in the business idea they had, which is moving from search and find or evolving from just search and find, put in your address with it, all the way over to really e-commerce or real estate. So I love customer experiences. Let's go figure out how we can make buying and selling a home as joyful as moving in. Big, hairy, awesome, audacious challenge. Um, joined in 2018 and then a little over a year and changed later, the pandemic hit. So as we're shifting the business, you know, as we're standing up Zillow Offers, which is um, a- an option that we could buy your home from you in 25 different markets. We also sell, we have mortgage, et cetera, pandemic hits. And I think like most companies, you know, the first thing we did, well, we didn't even know if we have business. Like who's going to buy? No one wants to go in someone's home. Like they're going to get sick. It's COVID. Um, the first thing we did was really regrouped and said, let got to take care of our employees. So we had, I believe at the time, close to 5,000 employees. We had a lot of field employees that would go in and do um, look at homes so we can help price them, et cetera. So regrouped, um, how do we take care of employees? How do we make sure we look at spending, all in spending? So as most marketers did, they had to come back and say, how do we rationalize our spending to keep the brand going and to use those funds if we needed to for salaries and benefits and such? So we really doubled down on a couple of different things. Everyone was in their home and we're in the home business. So why don't we actually talk a little bit about what that is? What does it feel like? And we shot an ad and I, it's, it was not a COVID ad. It was like a, we're all in it together in our houses, communication. And we shot it with a director in his own house using his own cameras and family in order to show a day in the life. And if you remember back then, it was everything from, oh my gosh, I have to, um, I have to educate my small kids to like, both people may have jobs to like, oh my gosh, we have to figure out where to get the food. And you never see the outside of your house. And how do you show that and say home is now more important than ever and understand the value of what we're going through today? So we started with that as the underpinning of truly just like we're all here. It is this. Um, let's understand where we are. How quickly, Amy, did you do that after the pandemic hit in mid-March? I want to say it was on air 
by May. Mm-hmm. It was super fast. It was one of those where we'd never done production without being around each other. You got to get on with the scripts and you got to get choose the director virtually. It was also new at the time, um, but it was super quick. It's actually one of the fastest productions. I, I joke back with the team. I'm like, how can it take more time now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can actually see each other. It's almost like you have too much choice. Back then, you didn't have so much choice. So things just like happened. The music was fantastic. Um, we used an old Dylan track. Uh, it was just it was just really just great. Super quick. Um, and then we decided, you know, what's not expensive is social and is content. And looking at how people had fun with us and kind of talking to customers and seeing the comments of customers and how they were using us. Everything from um, Sims creators finding the $17 million mansion on Zillow to recreate on the computer pastime to, um, you know, if you had, you know, if you had $100,000 and you lived in Sausalito with a family of four, which house? So uh, what we did is we took a step back. So we had that broader communication. We also decided we were going to play around with, uh, I, we called it a spectrum of social. So from informative, so literally our B2B arm is trying to help real estate agents figure out how do they get their check from the government, right? Because we were just managed with so many small businesses to B2C, like, what should you do to save money? Um, how do you start thinking about your credit rating now? So when the pandemic's over, you can think about what that looks like. How do you, all the way to like super exotic, um, you know, this is Dracula's house. And so there's a huge spectrum of social that we were managing. And the thinking was, let's see which is most relatable on which channels with which customers. And it's a lot of information we could use after, right? What are people relating to swiping left or right? Um, and then also how to use that data to understand what customers like or don't like and what they need back on our site and some of those kind of things. So we spent a lot of time actually doing that. We got a ton of content out of it. So a lot of piloting, a lot of trying things, and a, and a move to sort of more, I don't know, service. What, what do your customers yeah. need and how do, we, how do we offer that versus maybe mm-hmm. what we were doing last week? How did you manage that, I don't know, change in your work or, or subtle shift? I mean, I'm sure it was a very customer-centric culture before COVID, but to move more quickly to be of service to people, that's easier said than done. So how did you manage that? We actually changed our mission. So the mission of Zillow for 15 years was about creating a basically a transparent marketplace, power to the people. If you remember, I don't know if you bought houses 15 years ago, you did not know the price of homes around you. You couldn't get comps. There was no one place mm-hmm. to get all of your information. So this idea of creating a marketplace and giving Jim the power and Amy the power but you, we've done it, like, and everybody's doing it now. So it felt like it was the moment to change. So we've changed our mission with lots of um, conversation with our customers and our employees and our partners. And where we netted out was the mission is for Zillow to help our customers unlock life's next chapter. Because moving occurs really because something else is happening, mm-hmm. right? People just go, I'm going to move my house now, right? They were like, they had a baby, they had a divorce, there was a death, there was a graduation, there was a life change that happened. So how do we realize where the customer is? And then how do we help them unlock that life that chapter? Because people get stuck. Like, it's scary. They, you know, they go with nine plus different places just to find out information on how to move. Like, it's scary. So how do we help them get unstuck? And how do we help them move forward? And um, with all of this, we have our company values and we created our 
created a new value, which is customers or North Star. So with having unlocked life's next chapter, which is really centered in the customer, and then customers or North Star as a core value for the company, it was set up to start moving towards really having customer in your mind's eye whenever we create a product, service, event, et cetera. Um, so that was all kind of set in motion just before the pandemic. And then our customers really are employees. So our employees really are customers too. Yeah. People still buy and sell homes. So it's interesting. They are and aren't. You know, you sit in Seattle, you sit in New York, the prices of homes are not the average prices. An engineer is not a, necessarily an average person. Um, so you still had to go back, but that's not you. Like rounding to $5,000 is important. You have to be more specific. So there were still some customers, North Star things we had to, to but they were still, you know, scared of getting sick. They were still mm -hmm. in a place where there's no inventory. So, yeah. Well, tell me, let's, let's pause on that for a moment. When you change a company's mission and you add a core value, that's kind of big stuff. So I'd like you to reflect back on that. What was the catalyst? How did you align everyone that this was right for the business? How did you manage that process? We talk a lot about purpose on this or mission mm -hmm. on this podcast. So I'd like you to walk us through that a bit, unpack it. Sounds like it's been wildly successful. You were, you were very well prepared for the pandemic in terms of helping people. So go back and talk about where... Where did the idea germinate? And then what did you learn going through the creation and the engagement of everyone in the new mission? Sure. So back around, I want to say it was February of 2019, Rich Barton came back as CEO of the company. And there was an exclamation point on the shift from what we call Zillow 1.0 to 2.0. So from Search and find and so Rich uh, was gone. How model. long? Rich was Rich was gone. Uh, I don't know the answer. Okay, to that. but a while. Yeah, I, could, I could find him. He was gone a while. He was always on the board. Yeah. So he and and Lloyd were on the board. Um, so he was the founder. He left. Uh, he, then he stayed in the board. He started Expedia. Yeah. Um. He's used to market. He's great marketplace creator, right? Category creator. So, uh, Expedia, Glassdoor, Zillow. He's been on the board in Netflix forever. So fantastic, fantastic, um, innovative thinker, possibilities driven but also makes reality happen. So it's a really great combination. So he comes back and um, was really pushing on this idea of like 2.0, we have to get to 2.0. This is really now our thing. We got to fix, not fix, I hate to say, um, we are going to um, evolve real estate to make it simpler. Uh, wants to keep people and tech together. Super important. People, you don't want a one-click transaction, right? It's like my heart is in my home. Mm -hmm. and I have to understand my home. Um, so he comes back and then we, after we're looking at all the different tools that help drive behavior in an organization, it was really clear, like, yeah, to change a mission. Like our, our mission to set up a marketplace powered with people, that's not, that's, that's not what's going to get us from here to there. Right. And I had a lot of interesting conversations with folks and they're like, we are customer centric. And I'm like, but where does it say customer? And we literally look through the values and we look through things and it doesn't say it anywhere. So then do you assume people understand what that is? And then you double click into what they think it is. And, and everybody had a different point of view of who the customer was, why we were servicing them, et cetera. So when you have thousands of employees, all with different points of view of who the customer is, you end up not really servicing the customer. You can service them in groups of five doing a product feature, but you cannot satisfy them as a corporation trying to, trying to move people forward and help them unlock and get unstuck. So once we realized that we needed to change the mission and we needed to add something with the customer, 
Um, I worked with uh, the head of PR at the time and the head of HR, actually, and myself. So marketing, HR, and PR, That's which were the combo. three that were just like, how are we going to use it? Um, we had uh, the head of a couple of different business units, plus Rich and others were like the steering committee, if you will. And it was a super open process um, about what's working, what's not, what's missing. And of course, you get down the last word. Probably everybody does that. You get down the last word, you're fussing around with it. And finally, you're like pencils down. Um, we used uh, Fig, was our new agency mm -hmm. at the time. And uh, we decided we need to do old school sights and sounds. Do you remember that? Yeah, I sure. heard those in a while. So sites, we, we did a mission sights and sounds video in order to bring to life what it meant to unlock life's next chapter. And it just was amazing. It brought it to life and it really took the company from here to there because there was most of the company has been there for years and years and years. So you had to go out of what is my everyday going to be? Okay, I'm doing marketplaces. I'm, how do you inspire them to what the future vision is, what your mission, your next 15 years? And we had to look at different mediums to do that. So we did like the video sites and sounds. We had, uh, we actually, flew to all the different offices to kind of talk about what the change was. We really brought the customer to life for them. Like, what is the real need? What is, we did customer journey mapping. Mm -hmm. We brought emotion in. And so it was an awesome exercise to bring folks along. How do you know you're making, you have a large organization, 5,000 people. How do you know that they're engaged in it? It's theirs. They believe in it. What are the signals? What are the signs? I mean, how do you think about milestones or KPIs that your mission is being activated and making a difference? Ultimately, we have a pulse survey that goes out. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to say it's quarterly. And there is literally a question on how engaged you feel in the mission. And there's other, so we're asking them, like literally. Uh, and then if they score well or not as a team, then as with all of them, they dig into why do you feel disconnected to the mission? Why do you feel you're really connected to the mission? Um, ultimately, that's what we're doing now. Uh, what we did originally, I remember this one session we did with the VPs Plus on the mission. And we sat in front and myself and, and two other people were, were sharing the mission. And we said, what does unlocking life's next chapter mean to you? What was, remember the one house, like addresses mark your chapters of your yeah. life in a way, right? And so tell, tell us, and the sharing that came out of that from an employee who had come out to their parents, but their parents wasn't prepared yet, he stated the address in San Francisco when he moved, and that started his life. Like, he felt like he was able to blossom because of that. And it was just these touching stories of going through the scared and going through whatever else was going on and getting to that address. And so part of it was just like, if you can have a conversation about it and people are engaging in it, and then after they're still talking about it, you kind of know there's a there there. And so from the qual to the quant, if you will, how do you engage as many people as possible in these conversations? How do you ask managers to have these conversations with their own employees when we're launching the mission, et cetera, all the way to quant? Like, how is it sticky? Is it in the new employee embarking? All that kind of stuff so it doesn't go missing. As you were speaking, you know, just a few moments ago about unlocking a chapter, you're right. I, one house in our past came vividly to my mind about a major chapter in our life, and that house really signified that. But, um, but I would say in life experiences, you know, having, of course, getting married, having children, but to me, the, leaving an empty house that we've lived in, and we've moved a lot for a lot of reasons, we've moved, we've lived in a lot of places. Uh, 
walking through the empty house before you shut the door and leave it is one of the most, I think, just heart-wrenching experiences in my life, even if we've only been in the house a few years, because Mm -hmm. it was a chapter, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. It's interesting. We've been talking to customers about the entire moving experience. I just like a goosebump clip you can't see on the video. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And it's the... It's a like almost you can't wait and the things that move up to it and you're so distracted. And then it's it's uh, one of my favorite movies because young kids is Inside Out. You, yeah. You do ever see that one? Right? And you have the yellow and blue where it's happy, sad. And it's almost like that's a yellow, blue marble, right? It's the you see the you see the ages, you see the, the scratch on the floor when you were dragging the whatever it was and you just never fixed it. You see the the area where the dining room table Mm. used to be and it's it's sad it's um and it's happy and then you move and then you move on where we just created a book it's coming out um and it's uh it's drafting off the ad we did which is the journey Mm -hmm. and it's a little girl right that that finally finds her fan and she's happy and uh it's a book on her journey actually and it's called the little girl that didn't want to move oh and i have to say it's quite lovely but we want to start getting into everyone in the family really is affected. So again, how does Zillow, how can Zillow help? So where can we get the book? We're going to be distributing it. Uh, I, I, I don't want to say specifically okay. right now, just in case, yep. but we are looking at broad channels for it. Uh, it's going to be downloadable. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a small company in your city who can help you with this, you know, I, I that's where I was going yeah. with that. You know, there's a small company. We're probably going to be distributing. Okay. It got it. Got it. <laughs> I don't know that my, uh, my marketing team is allowing me to state yeah. that quite yet. Got it. Got it. It will be first come, first serve, and there will be a couple thousand uh, copies of it available. Well, we're giving each other goosebumps on this podcast. So, <laughs> What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Let's talk about your role as CMO. You've been been there about three years. I just want you to, you were in Starbucks for 14 before this. Was being a CMO a, a life goal of yours? No. Uh, being in a field where I can communicate to customers after understanding what they're doing and what they want and creating experiences, that was. And having the autonomy enough to make decisions, iterate, and move forward was. Um, you know, I, I don't know if a lot of, uh, to speak to myself as a girl growing up, it was like, oh, I'm not going to head anything. I'll just help people. Like the the, the self-esteem, you know, hits in middle school and all that other stuff. So it did take me professionally and personally a while to one be like well wait i could leave that that's awesome um to see that well i'm super passionate about it why wouldn't i do that um and just reach out to other people in the field and get inspired by what everybody is able to do i i honed in on cmo but cmo so like i don't even know what the definition is you know people like Chief experience officer, chief customer officer, chief marketing officer, chief digital officer. They're all, I almost didn't care what it was. I, I knew once I got past my own baloney of could I or could I not do it 
and leaned into the passion of, but I love it. And then it's figuring out for me, it was figuring out, I want to communicate things that I'm passionate about too. Otherwise they fall dead and fake and you're not authentic. Um, I wanted to have work with super smart people. Um, I wanted to be able to have the tools to, to test and iterate and move things forward. And I wasn't sure what I wanted per se. Is it digital? Is it experience? And this particular role in this particular company was an amazing combination for me. Um, but I don't know. I'd love you. You talk to so many different people. Like, it's just amazing to me. Like if you want, you know, sometimes it's everybody owns a customer experience, everybody, owns, but yet no one does. And then you get yeah. stuck in this whole, like, well, what is your meaning as a business? If you guys can't decide on who's going to be leading what parts of the experience. The reality is it's a different scope in every company, whatever yes. they call it, chief marketing officer. But, yeah. but one thing that is common, I mean, more and more is it has a lot to do with the culture of the company especially now where, uh, you know, brands are taking points of view and things they care about that are important for their customers and society. So I think the marketing role is uh, very close to HR these days. Mm -hmm. And of mm -hmm. course, it's very close to um, customer centricity, which you've been talking about since we started. Th those I think you will find in common in most job remits, however they say it. And, and purpose, of course, is a mega trend. And typically that starts, that often starts, doesn't typically, it often starts in marketing because they're thinking about the customer, th they're thinking about society, they're thinking about trends, and they're thinking about growth. And, and I think purpose pulls all of that together. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I loved. It was funny. I think I found myself when I joined Starbucks because I was like, wait a minute, I could be creative. I could drive a business. There's growth that exists. There's people involved. I was like, wait a minute, this is a good thing. I love yeah. it. This is fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the first book I read, I think it was at Starbucks when I read it, it was called Ecology of Commerce. And Paul Hawk Hawken, I think maybe is the author. And it talked about, it was revolutionary at the time. And it talked about how if you focus uh, doing good, if you will, and make it part of the business of what you do, you actually can make money. And I remember back, like, why is this such a, shocking thought to people like we had to set up uh, uh coffee standards for starbucks because there literally would not be enough coffee with that quality that we needed um so just in that it was fantastic because it helped drive our business but we also helped save water we helped farmer increase their yield we helped get disease they could just walk into our sports centers for free to figure out how to get rust off the cup it's just what we had to do right as part of delivering that that smile across the handoff plane and the employees are prouder. The the farmers would talk um, about, you know, how we helped them. The kids had education on the farms, et cetera. So it just, to me, it just makes sense that if you, if you find the thing, if it's not a side project, the side projects never work, no. like the $5 million to whatever, it's like you, you make an impact of the $5 million. But when it's really tied to your business, you really can make a difference in the world. Yeah, that's when purpose really works, and that's when it's sustained, mm -hmm. and that's when it can transform a company. So mm -hmm. uh, you're in a great job now, in a great company, great space. It must have been hard leaving Starbucks. Tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's hard. It was hard for a couple different reasons. One is when you grow up in a company, um, Someone was told me there's different levels of how a company actually runs, right? There's the way the senior leaders think it runs, and then there's how it actually runs. And then there's maybe another system of people that get stuff done. 
Uh, and when you've been that long at a company, you're like, I know to go to Samantha over in this department, she's going to cut through the tape, the stuff's going to get done, right? I know the store to go to to get the real reel of what's happening. So one, it was hard because I just like knew everybody uh, up and down the food chain. I could get stuff done. And two, is like, I love the people. Like the people at Starbucks, I mean, you, you can't have an experience in a store unless you have a support center that is that kind of open and type of culture. So, so I was missing it because of that. Um, all that said, I was very much excited about digital amplification of customer experiences. So while I had run beverage and I figured out how to put chocolate whipped cream in 11,000 different stores, and that was exciting. Um, I didn't necessarily want to be selling the unicorn frappuccino or those kind of things. I'm super interested in, you know, when I launched mobile order and pay and the personalization engine and how it was all the amplification of how a barista and a customer interact. It wasn't tech for tech. It like drove real value to the customer. Um, I really wanted to see more of that. So where I got excited was like, this is great. And where can I go to drive that digital customer experience in a much better set? And super intellectually curious about how a tech company worked which is really, we're, we're more tech, you can say we're real estate, depends on how you view us, but I viewed much more as tech because that's what the product is created is on a technical platform. Um, so I was excited too. It's like a yellow blue moment. Yeah. It's the like inside out yellow blue yeah. marble. Uh, but I miss the people. Still some of my best friends are there sure. today. Um, and a lot of folks had left too. It's a fantastic leadership uh, ground. connection now over the yeah. 14 years. Yeah. So when you went over to Zillow, how defined was the role in Remit when you came in? <laughs> well, I, I, my understanding after I joined was it was coming down to me with customer experience and all the possibilities of what it could be and a performance marketer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, right, because tech, you know, I could just like find me people that come to my site. And so that they, they ended up going towards customer experience. And um, it was basically like, we know we need to get from here to there. We saw what you did kind of help us do it. And at the time, we had a bunch of different functions that had been put together and was called marketing. And and the teams are great. And again, the super smartest people I've ever met. We had a performance team, an email team. We had some brand. We had some insights. We had a loose coalition of creative people that they called the studio that they went like, oh, that's in your title. Come into this group, right? So the, the first thing to do was really to figure out um, what what are we doing? How do we help? Where are the gaps? Where do we have quick wins? How do we how do we get ourselves so we're not like all these different silos even within marketing? How do we? Um, and then I had to say, okay, to the rest of the org, I had to go on a listening tour. I'd be like, what do you expect of marketing? What do you think of marketers? Why do you think we exist? And you know, a lot of it was like, oh, you do the brand TV, right? We had just started bringing in PMMs. Um, so even those were new. So we had on the product side, business strategists, PMs, that we had our PMMs. And there's a little confusion over who was driving which pieces of it. So the listening tour was really important. Who did you do that with, Amy, the listening tour? Oh, everybody. So the CFO was brand new. So Alan came from Amazon. So he and I are like a month apart. So we were like, what are you seeing? I don't know. What are you seeing? Huh, this is interesting. Yeah, this is interesting to talk to this person. Um, CTO, uh, Chief Technical Officer, Dave Vitale is fantastic. Stan Humphrey is great. He's Chief Analytics Officer. Um, uh, Rich, uh, Jeremy, Waxman. Uh, so everyone. Some of the businesses. All, all the different yeah, disciplines pretty much, functions. Yeah. Pretty mm -hmm. much. Pretty much. Pretty much. PR, et cetera. And you had to kind of gauge... And then you had to figure out how to get them from here to there if I had a different vision mm -hmm. than what the expectation was. And then I guess the other thing is the vocabulary 
I'm still, I'm still learning. Um, and maybe it's being at Starbucks for 14 years and then Campbell's for 10 before. It's like, you don't understand how much one word means like five different things, right? Because I grew up in those places and I was probably a culprit of using words as Starbucks wanted. And I was like, so when I came, for example, Zillow, and I started talking about um, uh, a CRM, mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking a CRM, like you buy off the shelf. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're not. And 10 minutes later, you realize, oh, they engineered a CRM that's not trigger based. That's based on a like something you do on site. And so there were so many different places where I need to just take pause and check for a clarity um, of communication. And so that was interesting. So even today, I tell folks that come in, it's like, be really clear what it is you're saying, what commitments you're asking, how specific can you be? And I do find, you know, marketers are storytellers. So they use maybe lots of words, more words than needed to talk to an engineer about something. And so really understanding that is still a journey that I'm on. Yeah, I'm in that space. Was that your biggest learning from the listening tour? That there was maybe confusion about some core concepts or different interpretations, or was there something else? Um, I think that. I think trying to understand if you want to go from a search and find to having a relationship with a customer, you have to understand all the different communication points. And we are on that journey still. So, you know, I'm like, wait, 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 you're a tech company. We don't have single source of identity. No, it's all fixed and we're working on stuff now. But the house was really the thing that was the center of our attention because the house's identity was the thing that Jim wanted to come see. We didn't know if so much as Jim so interested only in that, how do I create some personalized houses that best meet your needs, right? And now if we're looking at end-to-end services, we have to know more about Jim and where he might be ready to buy and sell a house and those kind of things. So that was that was a big learning for me on how we had all this data that was scattered um, and pulling it all together with the right use cases to both show quick wins, but also set up the infrastructure for the future of what we need. Um, so I just thought, oh, it's a tech company. Like, they get this. I was coming from a retail company. We had to build that from scratch. So um, that was a that was a big learning as well. And I think then for me too, like the analytics department was very much like, why do you guys need our stuff? And I was like, what? That's all we do. Like marketing is all about analytics. So that was a really interesting set of conversations that we had with them with really, you know, I came in already thinking that they knew we needed their help. And they were like, you guys didn't ask for any resources in AOP and you're sucking our resources. And so a couple of months in, I was like, time out, time out, time out. I think we're having a huge communication that's been blown up now. And so great relationships now. The teams work really seamlessly. Um, That was also another learning as just assuming based on your prior experience that everybody has the same knowledge base. You came in and you found all these uh, uh, segments or, or, or mini departments within marketing and you wanted to bring everyone sort of under the tent with one mission and, uh, and working together well. What did you learn in doing that as a leader? And mm-hmm. is there a capability that you found you really needed to double down on for you to reach the new mission? I mean, I don't know if you found this. Coming from other companies, like the ones we came from, like a re- there's a reorg every 18 sure. months, right? And it's, you know, Orgs are fluid. They change. It doesn't mean somebody is or isn't doing a job. It's just like the business changes. And you have to. Um, one of the things I realized, Zillow hadn't had many reorgs, right? It's just an evolution. You hire more people. They do this. So 
part of what I had to be super careful with is understanding this is just a first step to get us to the future vision. I had to set it up for what is a reorg? Is it good or bad? What does it mean for me? It's the only job or maybe the second job I've had. So I had to be super transparent with the employee base about understanding what that looked like and how I could engage them and involve them. I think then figuring out how does the organization create as little friction back to the broader organization. You don't have five marketing people showing up at one meeting. and So that was interesting to figure out. And then we ended up having a brand group an uh, insights group and a, a studio group because those three service everyone. And then I put together the quote unquote integrated marketing group, which many of us would be like, it's marketing. Oh, it's integrated. But I had to use the word purposely integrated marketing because I also wanted the team to integrate and understand that was part of their charter. And I think that skill set, um, ahead of integrated marketing, some of that understood that you have to be engaging and understand the literal marketing communication words that need to be the subject line all the way back to what is the strategic intent? How do we want to communicate? How is the, how are the analytics used? How are channels like that? Right message, right time, right person. And so getting someone in this integrated marketing function, so we can no longer just be brand. If we want a relationship, we have to create a relationship. We have to not just be features advertising. We have to do brand advertising, but you have to be down funnel. You have to understand the product. You have to get the person, quote unquote, closest to the register, right? And then you have to check, did they check out? That was a super critical hire for me, um, the SVP of integrated marketing. And then um, the other two are important as well. Like you have insights and insights have to be true insights. Um, they can't be just, just report data, backs. Right? Right. They can't be report backs. And then really the studio, because all this content stuff we were finding, they, they all were in brand. They're all equally important and they all have to work together. So one of the things that was funny when I was hiring folks, it was like, I have a, a no asshole policy, right? Healthy ego, awesome, but open communication, approachable, can actually change their mind if they get information coming in, understands how to communicate with that. Like this, this whole, like we're in it together because changing an industry, evolving an industry, whatever, however you want to call it, like, uh, um, making it simpler to do something that's hard requires a ton of open communication, trust falls, those kind of things, one. And two is what gets seen gets done. Mm -hmm. So if the teams can see this type of collaboration, you'd hope that the rest of the organization would. What are you most proud of in the three years have been, you've been there? I mean, I think I'm, Really proud of bringing customer more to the center of everything we're doing and making it part of, not just part of the vernacular. Like they don't just, I don't say I love you. I actually make you a mixtape, right? Like I, I know what it means. I'm really proud about that because I do think that's going to, that will make the difference between where we are and where we're going to go. Um, I'm proud of the team in general, like not even just my team but all the partners we collaborate with internally like the when i think back three years ago and this is mine and that's yours and doubling the work and all this other stuff like i'm just proud that they've had that up. i mean there's still always room to move right but i'm really proud that they're working really together now as more collaborative team um 
I don't know. I'm really proud. I know sound. I'm really proud of the leadership team for being like just open about what's working, what's not, what's missing, and not being so proud about putting a stake in the ground and just doubling down around the stake. It is always about growth and moving forward and talking to each other and that kind of thing. So I guess that would be um, the mission. I'm kind of proud about sure, that. I sure. think that's, you know, super cool. How about on the flip side of that? What do you wish had gone better or what's been a setback or a disappointment? Uh, you know, integrated marketing tech, you know, that always seems slow. I always thought it would be faster, you know, in tech company, but, you know, which systems need to be connected, what data needs to be connected? How do you really articulate to folks how it's going to be used if they never knew it or saw it in a marketing capacity? Um, that I wish was not as slow. Um, I think, I think some of this communication stuff has been interesting to work through. It's like really understanding faster, whether or not you're understanding each other. And it's been hard with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I think just trying, you know, zoom is zoom feels more transactional. It doesn't have to be, but it's, you don't have the hallway bump ins. You don't have the shitty chat in the beginning and stuff like that. Um, I think those would be the, the biggest ones. I want to go to Starbucks just for a moment before we go into the creator brief on you. Uh, you were there 14 years, which you said, but you did create or you're part of the team that created a loyalty program that most of the world admires. I mean, I've been in many clients who study what Starbucks does, you know, in great depth. What is your advice to others who are trying to create an affinity in a community in building a loyalty program that's had the kind of resonance that Starbucks has? Well, I got it. It was about 2 million people and no one really cared about it at the time. And it was a lot of paper-based like birthday cards. Uh, and we were lucky in a way because tech was coming along and becoming cheaper and data storage and analytics and all that stuff could be done. Um, maybe first is don't underestimate behavioral economics. Right. The, the, the reason why people like being part of a community and identifying with a community and the little moments that if you turn on are big things right the gold card was just so amazing on instagram you can go and look at all the people and how proud they felt and and it wasn't just that you know engineering and experience around an authentic experience so when when the barista gets it like oh amy hi thank you for being a customer right like so there's a little bit of that that was happening i think thinking about do you really need a loyalty program or do you need a communication relationship or something i was talking with a a shoe a, a large shoe um manufacturer and they were like come down we want to talk to you about our loyalty program like great i came down and they're talking about their shoes we want to stand up a loyalty program for our shoes great awesome so um how many sne sneakers does somebody buy in a year because they're trying to think well we usually go through third party we want to try to get some first party data da, da. they're like oh they buy one pair of sneakers of ours a year. I was like, oh, I don't know that this sounds like a loyalty program. So like, tell me more about what you want to do. Mm -hmm. So you don't just set something up because you think you're going to get data. And we ended up in a place where thinking about the core customers that you want to get a certain set of information out in a routine way and get them excited to then talk. It was a whole different program than it was everybody buying one set of sneakers. So I think it's like knowing what the outcome is you want from the relationship and do they pulse with you enough so that you have a meaningful, quote unquote, loyalty system set up? Because you need the 
two-way communication to be valuable enough that they'd spend the time mm. um, in it. And then um, the ecosystem is really important. So the flywheel. So we made the decision to not use all credit cards for mobile order and pay and to just use a stored value card purposefully because we wanted the information, we wanted the customer, we wanted to have the digital experience. And by the way, it also sped up the line. Yeah. And by the way, baristas were able to make drinks better. And by the way, all the other knock-on effects. So really thinking through the ecosystem itself, even if you can't do the whole thing, be purposeful about what's in it and what's out of it. And don't be scared to leave things out of it because your loyalty program, I mean, Sephora does a great job. I think they're like 89% or something like that are in the loyalty program. Um, I know grocers do the same type of all in, but really understanding what's the next best step that the customer could take that the program's helping with. Who literally are you helping? You also want to bankrupt yourself as a company because you're giving away all these dollars for things that people would um, buy anyway. So make sure that your finance team's evolved. You have the analytics going on. You're understanding that next move. Um, you're understanding your please and thank yous to your heavy users, but your carrots for the folks mm -hmm. you need to get something more. All right, before we leave Starbucks, I know you worked with Howard Schultz on a few things directly. Uh, what's, what's the biggest leadership lesson you've taken from that experience? He's such an inspirational leader. Like his ability to really hone in on the right customer or partner, employee, Brisa, point at the part of the story that connects with an outcome that he's looking for and then draw in everybody to what the possibilities are like over and over and over and over just, and the way in which he did it and it's authentic and, you know, learning that early on has been super, super, super helpful. And it was interesting when I was working with him on Via because you assume when you see someone from afar, they get it like they're working it. But everybody works on the pacing. Everybody works on the key message. Everybody. So part of it for me was like, oh, wait, you don't, not everybody gets everything instantaneously. Like everybody's practicing and being prepared is helpful. So the, the style with which he is inspirational, um, the, the way in which he brought in both customer and partner. Uh, in meetings, we would have an open chair for the customer and an open chair for the barista, the partner. Mm -hmm. And the question was always like, what's in it for them? Mm. Like, this is great. We're creating this thing. But if they don't want to make it and they don't want to drink it, it actually doesn't matter. Perfect. And standing up and for and in that is amazingly powerful. N not not from like a power perspective, but like from a like a, no, let's have that conversation from their lens. So I would say that the storytelling, I hate to say storytelling, because like marketers are storytelling, but the true like beauty of inspirational conversation, maybe. And then the idea of always standing in and for your customer and your partner with passion. All right, Amy, let's move into the creative brief. Are you a Zillow surfer? I am a Zillow surfer. I've wanted to have a home in Bend, Oregon for roughly eight years, and I still have not bought one. I surf there. Um, Do you surf alone or with your family? Well, it depends. If I'm traveling for business, I like to surf and see like, Okay, so I'm one mile from the Facebook campus. How much is that 1,000 square foot house? Uh, so those I do by myself and that kind of stuff. I'm going to New York to see some friends. I want to know about the apartment. So I look on Street Easy, which is a sub-brand of ours. Uh, but like for Bend 
Oregon or uh, we were looking in Laguna for mm-hmm. a while. That was like a, I don't have it together. It's more like, look what I yeah, found right. in my show, right. but it's not, and I, maybe I'll send them things, but this is my thing. Like, this is mine. <laughs> well, last year, SNL did the famous parody about Zillow. So what was your reaction to it? And what was your company's reaction to it? Well, it was, uh, so I'm on the West Coast. And so I started getting texts. That was like, oh, it was just like, OMG, Zillow's on SNL. <laughs> and you get that as a marketer. It could go so many different ways, you know? <laughs> You're like, okay. And then like, what do you mean? It's like, it's a parody. And again, this is not helping me, you know, understand. And so the texts started coming in. Um, and then we watched it. And the leadership team was texting each other. And we watched it. And I was like, oh, it brilliantly captured the moment of both us and real estate agent and all that together. It was just one of those moments that was just brilliant. And we saw it. We like, that was brilliant. Our social team got on and uh, I think we, we um, tweeted out to Dan Levy and said, see you tonight. And and he tweeted something back and it was kind of like a fun little brand moment. Um, It was fun seeing customers say things like, Oh my God, I'm on Zillow. While I watched Saturday Night Live doing an ad about Zillow, so you know the the, the relevance is there. Um, it, it just it was it was I don't know it was just fun to see. And then we tried to as much as possible, right, authentically, you know, extending mm-hmm. the conversation, you know, those kind of things. So it was fun. It was fun. And I did. I have to say, I have to confess, I had a moment, couple of moments of panic when I wasn't quite sure which way it was going to go. But then you know, Dan Levy, nothing can be wrong. He's absolutely brilliant. That was a great brand moment. Yeah. Hey, what's the one campaign or initiative in your career that you're most proud of? Campaign or initiative? Yeah, most proud. I mean, I think the mobile order and pay work was, I mean, from an initiative, I guess it's not technically marketing, mm-hmm. it's customer experience. Everything from, you know, doing the math on if everyone, nine people or more bail, that's millions of dollars of lost opportunity to really focusing in on, at the time, I don't know if you remember, um, Disney was having fast pass and there were dads like punching other dads because people were cutting in line and all that stuff was going on. So like really figuring out how you take a really democratic line and helping people who don't want to stand in line. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was, that's one I'm, I'm really, was really excited to champion and be part of, um, from a campaign ad campaign. I'm really proud of the work we did in, in, in May. That was just really, it just was really in the moment and heartfelt. Uh, old school, old school, old school. One of my first ads was I was on Prego Pasta Sauce. Yeah. And we were trying to figure out competition between us and Ragu. And we did these like nutty scientist ads. And that will always have a place in my heart because that was one of the first where you can be on brand with tone and manner, still be competitive and not grow necessarily share for them as well because you're talking about it, which is true, but like really hitting a key insight about in there. So I, that, that, I don't know if it, that's just like looking back, I have a super warm place in my heart for that work. I love the people, the insights person, Monica was fantastic. Like and it was, was fun. A place in my heart. And it was fun. It was fun. It was fun. So how do you keep such a positive level of energy, Amy? I don't know. I, I just, you know, you have to keep moving forward and your attitude on how you want to move forward. So sets up your day and your interactions and your experiences. That if, and you have down moments, but if you go into 
things expecting the best or being excited about stuff and not not naive not silly not goofy but just like wow this is life and life happens and life happens while you're looking for life so just enjoy the kids enjoy outside eat great food go to italy um you just have to keep doing that even as the world has illness and their fires and you know figure out how i figure out how we could do our part try to help my last question is, who would you like to hear in the CMO podcast? You interview you. Um, <laughs> we can switch places. Uh, right. <laughs> um, who would I like to hear on the CMO podcast? I don't know if I have an answer. I just, every everybody is so uniquely different. Mm -hmm. Like as long as you could keep doing people from different industries that have defined marketing in different ways and how we're innovating as a group and an organization. Um, I like how you're, it's not just the same, same. It's not like the, it's just, you learn something new from each person's experience. So that's our goal. Um, yeah, so keep that up. It's great. Last word to you. Anything for me before we sign off? No, no. Thanks for your intellectual curiosity, your approachability. You're like keeping, you know, marketing, I don't know, marketing conversation ever expanding. So it's been great to know you. Super. Well, I love all all the brands you've worked on. I'm a Campbell's fan, a Starbucks fan, and a Zillow fan. So. Oh, nice. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Amy, so much. Thank you. That was my conversation with Amy Johnson. Three takeaways from this one for your business and your life. The first one is know when it's right to evolve or change your brand purpose or mission, as Zillow calls it. A brand purpose should not be something that is in and out for a year. They often last for years, sometimes decades, but you must be in touch with your customers and your purpose to know when it's time to change and evolve. Zillow saw that time, evolved their mission right before COVID, and it has served them well. Second takeaway, as a leader, look for every opportunity to link a story, an example, a case to your purpose coming to life. Howard Schultz does that beautifully at Starbucks. Amy told us all about that in this interview. And the third takeaway, the importance and the power of a leader taking a listening tour. When you're promoted, when you're in a new job, or maybe just every once in a while, talk to people inside your department, outside your department, inside your company, outside your company, and when you do that well, it helps you form an agenda that can change a company and accelerate growth. And one bonus takeaway, number four, try a flat white. That's the favorite espresso drink of Amy. She worked 15 years at Starbucks. That's her recommendation. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.